Hey everyone, welcome back to Gifts from God. So we're just getting off of Easter. I hope you guys all had a great Easter out there. Uh, today we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to be telling you my story so you get to know me a little bit better. I'm going to be talking about my adoption. I'm going to be talking about searching and looking for my birth mom and finding her and reconnecting. And then talking about my journey also as an adoptive parent. Now there's two things you're going to see as you're listening to this. So the first half is actually a recording. Uh, I, I do speeches and I go places and I speak about adoption. So the first half you're going to see is kind of a recording uh, of that story. And then the second half is going to be recording just me here talking and talking to you about um, my adoption journey. So I hope you guys enjoy this. This is my story and uh, all praise to God. My story is a story of three women. It starts with a young mom raising a five-year-old son on her own. Her name is Gail. It was New Year's Eve, 1976. Gail sat in a church service. She had just broken up with a man she'd been living with. It had been a difficult choice to make. Bob was a really good man, a hard worker, but Gail had given her life to Jesus and was following him, and Bob was an atheist. And Bob made it clear the relationship came down to Gail needing to choose Bob or Jesus. She chose Jesus. Already a single mom from a previous relationship, she knew life was going to be really hard on her own. But she had no idea it was about to get harder. Sitting in that service, she had a weird feeling. Could she be pregnant? About an hour away, another woman, Lois, was sitting in a church service. The 70s had not been an easy decade for her. A few years ago, she'd gone to the doctor knowing something was wrong and she'd been told she had a growth that needed to be removed. It was only after the surgery that she found out she'd been pregnant and the doctor had given her an abortion without her knowledge. As a young, newly married pastor's wife, this had been the most difficult thing she'd ever gone through. A few years later, a young teen in the church approached them. She was pregnant, and she wanted Lois and her husband, Neil, to raise the baby. And now, on this New Year's Eve, she sat in the service, a mother of a five-year-old boy, but wanting another child so badly. Two women sitting in New Year's Eve services, both with five-year-old boys, one praying for a baby and one desperately hoping she was not pregnant. Gail didn't tell people she was pregnant. She held the secret as long as she could. But after a few months, it became obvious to everyone. A single mom living on her own, no relationship with the father. It seemed clear abortion was the easy way out. And people told Gail that she really needed to get an abortion. But Gail refused. A group of ladies from the church began to mentor Gail. And the idea of adoption came up. But there was concerns Gail had. This baby had a brother. How could she make this baby give up having a brother? Bob played the piano. How could she know for sure the baby would have music at home? Gail and Bob both owned pet stores. And would this baby be allowed to have pets? And what about a Christian home? With every concern, Gail gave that concern to God. In late August, Gail gave birth to her little girl and named her Faith. She was able to hold the baby for a while. Then it came time to give the baby to the social worker. 
Gail walked down the hall with faith in her arms and gave it to the worker. She heard God say, I will take care of your child. Now I've given you my son. What are you going to do with him? Gail began a lifetime of sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone she knew. Lois and Neil were in their home when the phone rang. Neil answered it and returned shortly to ask, How would you like a baby girl? Lois was angry with him. How could he joke about this? This wasn't a joke. It wasn't a joke. They went to pick up their little girl. The girl was added to the family and met her five-year-old brother. He wasn't a fan right away. She was kind of a crier. In fact, the only thing that made her stop crying was the singing and piano playing of her new mother. And of course, there was always pets in the house. Every prayer that Gail had given to God, he had answered. I am that baby. A few months later, Lois found out she was pregnant. She had been told she would never get pregnant, but there was complications. The doctor said if they continued with the pregnancy, my mom would die. And the baby would only have a 10% chance of survival. And if it did survive, it would be extremely handicapped. So here was the choice. Have an abortion or leave my dad, a single dad of a five-year-old, a newborn who cried all the time and possibly a severely handicapped child. My parents stayed up all the way through the night praying for a miracle. The next day, the doctor returned to the hospital bed. They told him they would not have an abortion. The doctor did an ultrasound and could not believe what he saw. He just kept shaking his head. He just kept shaking his head and saying, "This does not happen." The problem had been fixed overnight. So I grew up in this home. I grew up in a pastor's home. I knew about Jesus as long as I had the ability to talk. At the age of five, I could say a Bible verse for every letter of the alphabet. I was at church every Sunday and evening. I was at church every Wednesday night as well. My parents read the Bible to me every night and prayed with me every night. I was covered in prayers. I can remember trying to zip up a coat and struggling. A man in the church came to help me, and while he was zipping up my coat, he asked me if I was a Christian. I remember thinking, is this guy nuts? Doesn't he know who I am? I don't actually remember how I answered him. I remember thinking, though, about the question, and I remember thinking, am I a Christian? It was one night in September, I was in my bed, wondering if I was a Christian, and slowly realizing that I was not. I called my mom to my bed and asked her if I was a Christian. I don't remember the conversation, but I do remember the calling in my heart. I do remember Jesus telling me to call on him. I do remember praying, and I remember the feeling of security that I had, that I had become part of God's family. I know the Holy Spirit came into me at that point because I can remember many times after that moment when the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I remember sitting in a tree and telling God I was going to serve him anywhere he wanted me to go. I remember telling God I would always speak his truth. That conversation in the tree that day was a promise God has reminded me of many times. I remember as a preteen lying in a snowy path in the woods and looking up into the trees that were filled with ice and being in awe of the beauty. I remember God telling me if he could make all this, I could trust him. I remember telling God I would trust him, even if life didn't make sense. I remember sitting on top of a large boulder and talking to God. I remember telling him I would take the Bible seriously 
and I would always study it. I remember sitting in a snowbank and telling God, now that I'm a teenager and I understand more than I did at age five, I want you to know I still choose you. I remember in college when I was feeling lost in my faith and sitting by a pond and feeling the presence of God around me. I remember being hurt by the church so much that the thought of going back to any church was terrifying, but trusting God and doing what he asked me to do, even when it made no sense. I remember the first time I had to speak, not preach because I'm a good Baptist girl, so we'll call it speaking, not preaching. But I remember that first time and feeling the Holy Spirit overwhelm me with his power. My life today, everything I am goes back to the choice I made 36 years ago. Jesus promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This has been true in my life. That was my adoption story. Here's more of our present day story. When I first started dating my husband, Alex, we talked about family and children. I wanted to have children with Alex. I also wanted to adopt. Alex's family had been a foster family, so he understood what that meant. He agreed that he also wanted to adopt. Right from the beginning, when we talked about adoption, we talked about adopting older children. I knew there was a long waiting list for adopting newborn babies, but it was the older children who often ended up without ever finding a family. Shortly after we were married, I decided to look for my birth family. My parents had been told when they adopted me I was half Native American, and I wanted to know more about that part of my heritage. We also wanted to start a family, and before having children, I wanted to know my medical history. What things could I possibly be passing on to my children that I didn't even know about? It was weird to sit in an office with a stranger and ask her for my personal information. This woman had my story, and I had to fill out paperwork and apply to get my information from a stranger. I took the paperwork and filled it out and submitted it. At the time, the law stated that the only way I could get information is if my birth family had also done paperwork and agreed for information to be given out. This has since been changed because adoptees went to court to fight for the right to have their own medical information. In my situation, my birth mom, Gail, had filled out the paperwork and I was sent a package of information. I was sitting in my living room reading through the paperwork when I found out my birth father and both of his parents had died of cancer. That was a hard way to find out that I would never meet them. I decided I wanted to meet my birth mother and again I had to go through the social worker. I was told I needed to go to counseling first. That was not going to happen. I called her again and convinced her on the phone to just give me Gail's number. She finally agreed, and her number started with 666. For real. That threw me a little bit, and it took me a few weeks to decide to give her a call. After that first phone call, we met for coffee. I found out I am not at all Native American. That was actually shocking, since I spent my whole life believing I was. I mean, my parents bought me brown dolls and books on Native Americans. I had artifacts from tribes. It was kind of part of my identity and also it turns out my social worker when I was a baby was kind of a weirdo. I mean, since the family's name was Broadbear, she just assumed that was a tribal name. It turns out 
that they're from England and my birth father's family is from Germany. So I might be the only Canadian who is 0% Indian. I mean, I'm probably less than Elizabeth Warren. After that first meeting, Gail and her husband met my husband and then they met my mom and dad. It's been 15 years since I first met Gail and her family. Gail, myself, and my mom, we speak in churches and at pro-life events, sharing our story of love and adoption. Shortly after I met my birth family, Alex and I had our first daughter, and Gail was able to come to the hospital to see her. It was a wonderful time for all of us to be together in the hospital. When my first daughter was just over a year old, I got pregnant again with our second daughter. I had taken a pregnancy test, and it came back negative. I was working as a daycare worker, and I needed... um measles vaccination. Since the test came back negative, I got the vaccination. But a week later, I kept thinking something was off. So I got another pregnancy test and it came back positive. When I went to see the doctor, he told me not to get attached and the pregnancy would probably not last. But when I went back for the checkup, there was a heartbeat and the doctor still said not to get attached. I was losing weight and I had to go on a huge protein diet to try and gain weight. When I went for an ultrasound, the person didn't talk to me. And this was very different from the ultrasound from the first daughter. So I knew it wasn't good. The baby was alive. There was a heartbeat, but there was concerns because they couldn't see a spine and her limbs didn't seem to be developing properly. I ended up having to go for weekly doctor visits and a lot of ultrasounds. My baby was developing, but slower than she should be, and she was very small. By six months, I was just starting to show. I had to tell people I was pregnant at that point, but I was still not sure what was going to happen. Then one Sunday, we had a special speaker at my church who spoke about praying for God's healing, which is not a sermon you hear very often in a Baptist church. I actually didn't even hear it because I was teaching children's church. However, people in the service prayed for me. The next day I went to my doctor and my baby had jumped from being 2 percentile to 12 percentile. And every week after that, she jumped even higher. By the time she was born, she was almost 8 pounds. Because the pregnancy was considered high risk, I was sent to a different hospital for the birth. What I didn't know was that it was the same hospital I was born in. After the baby was born, Gail and my mom came into my room. I didn't want anyone else to come in, so I asked Gail if she could take the baby to the waiting room to meet the grandpas and my in-laws. What I didn't know was this. Gail took my baby and walked down the same hallway she had walked with me. This time, she was taking her grandbaby to see her family. This was the healing moment for Gail and a powerful picture of why I ask people to please adopt instead of abort. My husband took our baby home. And she had none of the problems the doctors thought she would have. In fact, she's now a competitive gymnast. Once my oldest daughter started school, I began to think again about adoption. When I talked to my husband about it, he said he felt God was not calling us to adopt at this point. I actually agreed, but I knew God was calling me to do something. I met Leslie for coffee. You can hear her story in episode two. Go back and take a listen to that one. She told me about families that were struggling because they could not bring their adopted or foster kids to church because the church was not able to meet their special needs or their special behavioral problems. She also said that family and children's services had programs for her foster children, but there was no time when she could send all of her children to one program. 
That gave me the idea to start a club for foster and adoptive families. I worked with CEF Ontario at the time, and we started a slingshot club that was for families that had fostered or adopted. Any child in that family could attend, biological or not. This was a way to give the parents a morning off. CEF also offered winter and summer camps for the families. During that time, I was able to learn more about the children who had gone through trauma and the specific needs that they have. I know now that God had not given me the green light to adopt at the point for two reasons. One, our daughters were not ready for us. And two, he wanted me to start this ministry and to learn from this ministry. Then when my oldest was in grade four, I heard God tell me it was time. I was in bed looking through some videos and came across the story of an 11-year-old girl who wanted a family, but at 11, it was already probably too late. Children at the point of age 11, a lot of them will not be adopted. I showed her picture to Alex and his exact words were, you're killing me. Don't show that to me. And then he smiled because we both knew God was giving us the green light to start the process. What I didn't know was that our daughters were entering foster care at that exact time. People have all kinds of different fears about adoption. My fear was this. I'm pretty close to a libertarian. I do not like the government in my business. And I knew this process would mean the government would be very much in my business. And as a side note, social workers do not like being called the government. They're very offended by that. So don't tell them that they're an arm of the government. But they are, and we all know it. So inviting the government into my home and asking them to judge me, not my favorite thing. The first meeting, a beautiful lady with the biggest, warmest smile and the most wonderful curly hair was at my door. Right away, I felt calm. She was not scary at all. She talked to us about the process and how it works and asked us a few questions. Yes, the fact that Alex and I were Christians and attended church came up at this point. She wanted to know how we felt on a number of topics, and we were honest, and at the same time explained to her that Jesus loves everyone. And the Bible teaches us that all people should be treated with respect and honor. Also, my political views as a libertarian were this. Every single Canadian should have the same rights as the next Canadian. I know a lot of Christians, this line of questioning scares them. And some use it as an excuse to not even start the process. We have to remember there are a lot of people out there who call themselves Christians, but are are extremely hateful. The workers needed to know that we were not one of those people. We also have to remember that the workers have seen many failed adoptions. When we think nothing could be worse than being a kid in foster care and never being adopted, we're wrong. Worse is being a kid in foster care, getting adopted, and then sent back to foster care. That is worse. And the workers would have seen that. So they do what they have to do to stop that from happening again. Yes, I do believe there is an anti-Christian movement growing in family and children's services, but there's also a deep-seated respect, and both of those things are occurring at the same time. The church has been the dominating force of adoption, especially with children with disabilities and especially older children. We passed that first interview, and then we started what is called pride classes. These are classes to prepare you for raising a child who has been through trauma. Some of the classes were great, and some were two hours long and could have been summed up in 20 minutes. But that's how every meeting and class in life is. Each class ends with paperwork and homework, and that means every week you're asked to share a little more of your private life and feelings with the government. 
I had to let that fear go and just embrace it. And I actually found it interesting to study my own life. The classes ended and that started the next round of paperwork and interviews. My husband and I were interviewed together. Then we were interviewed apart and the girls were also interviewed. It was a year long process, but finally we were approved to adopt. But that meant we lost our social worker and we got a new one. That was really sad because we really liked our worker and we had learned to trust her. And now I had this new one. This one was actually kind of a disaster. And thankfully, we only had her for a short time. We were supposed to make a book with pictures about our family. And the worker would take that book and show it to children who were in foster care when talking about us. This is because we were looking to adopt older children. I had my book ready, and when she came for her first meeting, she looked through it and she said, your book is kind of white. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's a book of pictures from our family and we're white, but you're doing really white things in the pictures. Uh, we were rock climbing, going to Disneyland, going to Kansas Wonderland, taking car road trips, hanging out at parks. Yeah, black people do all those things. Then she asked if we even knew black people. And then she asked us to take pictures of our black friends and put them in the book. That's not going to happen, lady. You're literally asking me to make my friends into token black people, take their pictures, and put it in a book that I'm going to give to social services. Zero chance I'm doing that. A few weeks later, Alex and I attended a meeting in Toronto for families approved to adopt. And this is how these meetings work. You enter, and there's literally binders full of children who are waiting to be adopted. Thousands. You look through the binders, and when you see a child you might be interested in, you write down the agency listed. Then you go into a larger room filled with booths and you find the booth from that agency and you ask them questions about the child. This was an overwhelming day. And wow, Ontario churches, there are so many kids who need families. We really need to step up here. The day after that meeting, we had supper with a family from our church. The family had two foster daughters. The first time I saw them, I knew that they were my daughters. Our other daughters immediately connected with them as well. In fact, when it was time to leave, they were hiding in a closet because they didn't even want to leave each other. And that's weird for my kids because they do not connect with people easily. I found out the girl's story and I found out that they were going to be looking for an adoptive family. Alex and I both did the same thing. Those are our girls. We knew it without question and we loved them right away. We did what is called a plan, which means paperwork and a request to be considered as the adoptive family. The girls at this point had a social worker, they had a family social worker, and they had an adoptive social worker, and we had a social worker. So there were actually four social workers involved. The adoptive worker had not met the girls and had not met Alex and I. We were denied to even be considered as an adoptive family because two of the girls were the same age and we would be adopting out of birth order. When I got that call, I sat in the bathroom and I cried for a long time. It felt like when I found it, I was pregnant but was told by the doctor the baby was probably not going to make it. But just like that situation, God had something else in mind. We continued to get to know the girls through church functions and spending time with the foster family. And we also didn't stop putting in plans. We did more paperwork and found out about an appeals process that can be used if you have a connection to the children. After a long time, we were found out they would at least consider us. 
We were at that time living in a small semi, and I was looking for a bigger home, something with an in-law suite for my parents. We came across this old retirement home that was going out of business and was selling off its property. It was a mess and needed a lot of work, but was perfect for our family and had a great apartment for my parents. My dad did a walkthrough of the house and said, we have to buy this house. We put an offer in and it was accepted. And then we sold our house with just one open house. Then we were told we were approved to adopt the girls, although they actually meant we were approved to be considered to adopt them. But at the time, we didn't understand that. Everything was falling into place. And then it all fell out of place. One month before we were supposed to move, the paperwork to change the retirement home into a residential home fell through. And that meant no bank would give us money. But we had to leave our house in just a few weeks because we'd already sold it. We were going to be homeless. No one lets a homeless family living in a hotel adopt two girls. We started looking for a home that we could buy and move into in just a month. But every house we looked into, I felt God telling me I was not trusting him. I told my husband, God gave us a house and we need to go back to the one he gave us. The only way we could do that was to take a mortgage from a non-bank. That is not something I would recommend. And every single person said to run away and not do this. I prayed. I fasted and I prayed for weeks. And I actually lost a lot of weight. I told God if this was his home and if he wanted to allow us to live in it, we would take care of it. And we would take care of whoever he brought into the home. Literally hours before we moved out of our home, we got our mortgage through our non-bank. And we moved into this old, smelly retirement home that we didn't even know if we would be allowed to turn into a house. It didn't even have a kitchen, and it was really gross. But it had potential, lots of potential. We began to redo the paperwork and to have the building classified as a residence. And we started to do the renovations. The first day we were there, our friends came to visit with the foster girls. Both girls picked out rooms that they thought were cool and ones they would pick if they lived there. Two months later, the girls moved into our home and into the rooms they had picked. They got to be part of the renovating the new home. They picked the colors and furniture for their rooms. They helped lay the new floor in our kitchen and knock down walls. There was a lot of hard things, too. The first weeks the girls moved in, I had to go into the CEF offices every day because we were writing curriculum. Our kitchen wasn't done, so meals were being made with Crock-Pot. And after trying to work and balance the needs of the growing family... I realized I was going to have to take time off of ministry. This was probably the hardest thing I had to sacrifice. Serving God and sharing his love was all that I wanted to do. I had to hand my club ministry over to people and walk away. My days were making lunches, making suppers, driving kids places, filling out paperwork, cleaning and doing laundry, filling out paperwork. Did I mention there's a lot of paperwork? While we waited for the adoption to be completed, I could not sign permission forms for my kids. One day we were going to go to Sky Zone on a PD day, and I realized I couldn't because I couldn't sign the permission form. I had to get a form, ask our worker to sign it at the next meeting, and then I could take them. We went on holidays with the girls, but we needed permission for that as well. As a mom, I found this time period really hard, much harder than I thought I would. I lost my identity when I walked away from my job. I lost my friends because I had no time or energy to put into relationships. I lost my freedom because I had to ask permission before I could do anything. And I felt alone. And honestly, I didn't even know who I was anymore. 
my husband, well, he had a lot of girls in his home, so he had some adjustments as well. Shortly after the girls moved in, we had another teen girl move in and stay with us for a while as well. God was teaching me to see ministry differently, making a lunch, providing healthy suppers, even if they weren't wanted, pushing the kids to dream about their future and helping them to achieve academically. This was ministry as well. My husband and I always did a once a week date night. And through all of this, we never gave up on that. And that actually gave me the sanity to keep going. We still have a lot of work to do on our house and our family, although it's now officially a residential home and our mortgage is now through a bank. We are continually working on everything. Thank you for listening to my story on adoption. Um, One of the things I love to do is I love to speak about adoption and to tell my story. And if you would like to have me come to your group and speak, to your church or to your ladies group or to your school. Uh, We've done quite a few school assemblies. It's really great to be able to do that as well. So check out my podcast, lauraleesiemens.com, and uh, you can contact me through there. And also on our website, we have a lot of adoption resources, books that we recommend and things like that. So check out our website, please. And I will see you here back next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you.